Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I love you guys, and I can't thank you enough for supporting me and believing in me. I want to give a shout out to our sponsors, Wasatch Recovery, Siegfried & Jensen, Thread Wallets, and the beautiful music you heard at the beginning and at the end of this episode is by Paul Cardall. He's a award-winning uh, pianist, and he's one a good friend as well, so I'm thankful for him. And today we are joined by Catherine Jarrett Cat. Thank you for joining us today. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we've been trying to do this for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> too long to want to admit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But 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 I'm glad we're finally doing this. Uh you guys are in for a treat today. Um, Catherine um has lived uh, a life that uh is very inspiring and in the way she carries herself, but it wasn't always like that. And you you're gonna get to hear from her firsthand, but um, Catherine's an author, speaker. She's a, a sober entrepreneur. She's a branding coach. She says she was saved by grace. She's a mom. She she does one-on-one -on -one stuff. She speaks to large groups. She's getting ready to launch a podcast. She's writing a book. She's doing all these amazing things. And more importantly, I mean, you guys are going to feel her energy and her love for being clean and sober. I mean, she is passionate about it. And I just love watching your post because, you know, sometimes you're dancing, sometimes you're... <laughs> You know, you're just, you get really serious when you need to. You also have fun with it. And anyway, I'm just grateful that you're on the show today. Thank you so much. That intro made me cry, to be honest. Uh, yeah. When you said, you know, she carries herself with grace or whatever you yes. said, it wasn't always like that. And I had a, you know, a flashback to kind of when it wasn't, oh, it wasn't like that. You know, yeah. I didn't have dignity and grace and I do today and it's a beautiful gift. Yes. Um, yeah. So again, yeah. thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, why don't we start with uh, tell us um, our listeners a little a little bit about your childhood, where you grew up, and a little bit about your family. Yeah, absolutely. So I live in Massachusetts, about a half hour south of Boston. I do have an accent. <laughs> you'll, you'll hear that throughout the interview, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> about a half hour south of Boston, and a beautiful little suburb. Um, my parents loved each other. They loved us very much. I have an older sister and a younger brother. Um, we were raised so well my childhood was beautiful um you know summers going up to new hampshire uh on the cape we had a family cottage on the cape we had a boat church every sunday my father was a eucharistic minister um oh, the catholic okay. church in town yeah raised catholic and um played sports um had yard sales on saturdays and fun and it was beautiful it really was a beautiful childhood and um yeah. i'm grateful for that and i was raised with with uh, values and morals mm -hmm. and support and boundaries. Um, yeah. And again, my parents were just great. And I'm really grateful for that. And um, unfortunately, my father, when I was 14 years old, I was getting ready to go to school. I was a freshman in high school. Mm -hmm. And I uh, realized I left my toothbrush in his bathroom. So I went to go into his bathroom. I knocked on the door and I said, uh -huh. Dad, I got to get my toothbrush. And I heard a crash and I opened the door and he had collapsed out of the shower. He had oh. had a cardiac event, a ventricular arrhythmia. Um, wow. And long story short, a week later, he passed away. Wow. So that was 
immensely sudden. Um, I was a freshman at a private Catholic school in the next town over, and I was on the varsity soccer team as a freshman. Um, he mm -hmm. had been my soccer coach my whole life. I didn't okay. mention that, but he was so proud of me. He would leave work early yeah. to sit and watch my soccer practices. Yeah. <laughs> Proud yeah. he was of me. And in an instant, our family changed. And um, my brother was 12. I was 14. My sister was 16. Mm. And looking back, we all did the best that we could, but we all coped yeah. in different ways. We yeah. So, ways. yeah. I mean, at 14, you don't even know what, how to even handle stuff like that. And how, how did you cope? Like, what were some of the things that you tried to figure out going through that? Yeah, so I, um, it didn't really hit me until March when I made the varsity softball team mm. and I came home and he wasn't there to tell. And oh, um, he just took so much pride in my achievements and my academics. I was always strong academically and he was a math wizard. He got like a perfect score in his SAT. So I took a lot of joy in making him proud of me. And he was proud of me for being kind and all the things yeah. as well. But so the way I coped is I became in unapologetic perfectionist and it was all self-driven nobody else put yeah. pressure on me yeah. um, you know my mom had to go back to work full-time so that we didn't lose the house so yeah. it was truly my own doing I just you know a, an a minus wasn't good enough um, you know yeah. MVP of the soccer team captain of uh, soccer you know softball my senior year and I got a full ride to Northeastern in their physical therapy program. So I put so much pressure on myself and looking back, it seems really healthy, right? Like we, yeah. we commend that with teenagers, but oftentimes it's an unhealthy coping mechanism that they're, you know, putting on themselves and it's detrimental to their emotional well-being. Wow. Yeah. yeah I mean, I'm sure our listeners are, you know, feeling uh, the weight of what that was like um, at that young of an age and, um, can understand the struggle. And, you know, like you said, families just try to figure out how to cope and, and for your mom to even go back full time to work to save the house. And, you know, you probably had a lot of alone time, downtime and things like that. And mm -hmm. yeah, you know, um, so that happens, you work through those kind of things, I guess, as best you guys can. Um, did that, did that affect you too, as you went through high school, you know, you're, you know, always maybe looking and dad's not there to see these, you know, things that you're doing. Yeah, it was a void. It was yeah. and still today. It was a void. It's a void. And I remember on the soccer field one time I looked over and he had a big bald spot. He was Greek and had this <laughs> bald spot in the back of his head, overweight, just jovial guy. Yeah. And I looked on the sideline and I saw another dad with a bald spot and it oh. makes me emotional now thinking of it. I thought it was him and it was, it was hard, you know, it was hard. Yeah. And, um, but again, we, we still had a really good life. My mom loved us uh, kids, you know, mm -hmm. my brother coped a different way and maybe I'll get into that in a minute. And my six sister yeah. coped in, in her own way. Um, but you know, overall we, I still had a good teenage years and I had some great friends. I had some really great, yeah. um, a, a small network of friends. I never had these large groups. I really just like to have a couple really good friends and that's, you know, what I did. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, if you want to, do you want to share with how your brother coped? Is that appropriate yeah. right now? Is that okay? No, it's, a, it's appropriate. I actually have this right yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. He, um, so my younger brother, David, when he was about 17, he broke his ankle and was prescribed Oxycontin. So mm. you probably know where the story is going to go. And yeah. before then he had experimented with alcohol and, you know, me as being the older sister protective, like, yeah. you know, I was worried about him, but this really accelerated quickly. Yeah. 
Um, and you know, he'd get the refill and then it was, it went from there. Um, by the age of 19, the poor thing had gone to heroin. Mm. Um, and he did experience years of sobriety in his twenties. He was clean and sober and amazing and healthy and walked me down the aisle when I was 27, he was 24. So he did have some really great years of sobriety. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, that strong addiction and eventual mental illness that came along with mm-hmm. a result of all the drugs that, you know, yeah. get, you know, just enter the picture that, you know, they enter the, they enter the playing yeah. the game. Um, it led him to really struggle in life and life was hard for him. And this past year, he um, was doing great. He was clean. Uh, sober. He was working with some people that were helping him get um, housing. He had just been approved for housing and he was back in our lives. And after about a decade of me not having him in my life because of this disease, um, you know, I have two boys now ages um, nine and 11. And, you know, I did what I had to do to protect them just, you know, as a mom and me personally, it was hard to let somebody back in and you know, get your heart broken again. But right. this past year, he had Thanksgiving with us and Christmas and came to hockey games with me in January. Um, and right now during this interview, it's April. So this was about three months ago. Yeah. And suddenly one day he wasn't um, returning our text messages. And we got the phone call from the detective that he had been found. And he, oh, um, you know, and I say, it's interesting because the last time I was with him, I, um, and this will resonate probably with some of your listeners is just something really powerful that I'll never forget. I, uh, was dropping him off and he was getting out of the car and it was so awesome to talk to my brother about recovery. And, you know, I sit here today with you and I have five years of continuous sobriety by the grace of God. And it was so awesome to talk to him about what I'm learning and what I live. And he had so much wisdom and he was so proud that he had been to over a thousand meetings. And he told me that, and uh, he went to get out of the car and he was living in this long-term homeless shelter. Again, he had been approved for an apartment. And I said, Hey, David, I'm like, do you have a big book? Do you have a big book? And he said, um, I said, I used to, but I lost it somewhere along the way. I just have the small pocket one. And I reached into my console because I had one in my car. I don't even know why I had it with me. I just, it was literally in my car for years because I had another one I was using. And I said, here, I want you to have this. And I I folded down pages 83 and Mm -hmm. I folded down page 419. And I said, read these every morning. And I handed it to him and he was so grateful. And, uh, you know, after he passed away, I thought to myself, you know, he's not the first person to die of this disease next to a big book. And he's not going to be the last. And it's right. It makes me so grateful. Um, that I'm here and I struggle with not letting that survivor's guilt get to me because I know that's not where I want to be. And that's not where David would want me to be. Um, But it is a beautiful thing that we had the time we had this year uh, to be able to connect on that level. And he, he knew he was loved. He was welcomed. He was um, understood in his final days. He knew all of that. And that's really beautiful. Yeah. What was his name? David, David David Chiros, David Chiros. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for sharing that. I know that's hard and my heart goes out to you and, um, a shout out to David. We're here to honor you. Um, I know you're doing, I mean, you're making me emotional by sharing this. I, I feel for you on so many levels. I I have clients and friends who have all died from this and it's really tough to watch that, but, uh, I'm so glad you're here, honestly, Kat, and the things that you're doing. So, I know we jumped ahead just a little bit, but so thank you for yeah. sharing that. Let's go back yeah. a little bit more where 
we pick up, you know, you're going through high school, you're missing your dad, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's get to where, cause you've had your struggles as well. And let's kind of talk right. about that a little bit. Yeah. And I just want to hop back to something about David before sure. I forget, Please. but he, um, one of the conversations we had is he, he hopped on my Instagram and he was like, Whoa. Cause he, he, when he got, you know, healthy yeah. this year, he's like, I feel like I just crawled out from under a rock, you know? And he's like, <laughs> yeah. what are you doing on Instagram? How do you have that big following and everything? And yes. I told him that I share about recovery and his mind was blown and he was so proud of me. And it yeah. was so nice to hear because a lot of people don't understand what we do and why we share all the details and the intimate right. things about our, our battles and our recovery, but he understood it. And so that was really beautiful. Um, so yeah, so in high school, I uh, got hurt on the soccer field my senior year and had to go to physical therapy. And that physical therapy got me back on the field before final, the final uh, uh-huh. tournament. So I was like, well, I'm going to be a physical therapist now because um, <laughs> I wanted to be a doctor, but that just seemed too much. And I knew I wanted to be a mom. So a physical therapist is what I went for. I applied to a few schools. Northeastern accepted me into their doctorate of physical therapy program on a full scholarship. Um, <laughs> so I went there and I believe that freshman year I had... You know, it's interesting because I had dabbled with alcohol in my, you know, high school years, but I was always the responsible friend. I was, I had friends that were doing other types of drugs and things. I was always the one driving. I was always responsible. I didn't like the way alcohol made me feel. I didn't like to be unsteady on my feet or not be in control of my thoughts or my, my words. Um, Sorry, I just have to decline a call here. So, um, I was always the responsible one. And in college, the same thing. I I drank a little bit, but it really never really did anything for me. I just had a few and then would stop. Um, And then I tried a party drug in college and immediately felt euphoric, um, you know, weightless, calm, just joyous and free. And that feeling was what I was chasing all of my teenage years when I was not comfortable in my own skin, not comfortable in my own story, not comfortable yeah. in my own truth and environment. I was chasing perfectionism and that to feel okay, because that I could control that. And then when this, with the drug hit my system, I just felt euphoria and it was what I had been craving. And unfortunately I got into the wrong crowd in college. Um, I found a drug dealer and started dating him. Um, mm, wow. And he ended up being quite abusive in all the different ways someone could be abusive. And I had to uh, call campus security one morning to escort me to my 8 a.m. class. And the officer came to my dorm and he said, why am I escorting you to your 8 a.m. class? Like the service is for people at 2 a.m., you know? Yeah. And I said, well, well, I'm trying to break up with my boyfriend and he's stalking me. And the the officer, thank God, said, we're not going to your 8 a.m. class. I'm like, no, I need to get to class. Like, <laughs> I still really did well in my academics. Right, yeah. And he said, we're going to the police, the Boston police station. You're filing a restraining order. And we did. And um, we appeared in court a week later, and I was approved for a year-long restraining oh, order. Um, yeah. But the drug use didn't stop. And I, I didn't drink, really, all that much. It was just the drug use on the weekends. And yeah. still did really well in school. I graduated undergrad bachelor's and master's with about a 3.9 i ended up eventually in my 30s getting my doctorate degree that's a long story the college wasn't approved when i went and then i had to go back for my doctorate but i did and i got a 4.0 in my doctorate so i always did really wow. well that's yeah. amazing so but i would party from friday at 3 p.m and then until sunday night and then i'd be in my 8 a.m 8 a.m class on monday morning um wow. 
And so through college and into when I graduated college, it was just more of that drug use. And when I was about 24, um, I started hanging around with people that drank a lot because yeah. what I like to do kept me up at night and then yeah. everyone else was drinking. So it worked out great. I wasn't, you know, I was kind of <laughs> surrounded by people still yeah. partying. I just was doing it a different way Yeah. until um, that really took a turn for the worst. And I, you know, at that time I was a licensed physical therapist. I worked in a hospital. I worked in ICUs. I helped people out of bed who had been in comas for three months. And then, Jeez. you know, on the weekends I was yeah. doing all this crazy stuff to my body and everything. Um, you know, and one night, it was really, really scary. And I actually am writing a book right now and I, I get into the details of it in my book. Okay. Um, yeah. And there's, if you want to be on the wait list for my book, there's a link in my bio on Instagram that you can hop on the wait list, but that'll be shared in about uh, probably 2024. We'll publish that. But um, nice, nice. one night really did it. And after that, I said, you know what? Because all week long, I would say, I'm not doing drugs this weekend. I'm not going to do it. And then once I had a drink, I immediately wanted the next thing. Yeah like my brain chemistry immediately it was a craving that I could not ignore yeah um, and you know that craving just was so strong that I would I would do it and so I thought to myself the only way I can stop using this drug is if I stop drinking and I knew because I had friends in the in the, um in a 12-step program already I knew that yeah. it worked for them so I yeah. found myself driving to Rhode Island a different state to go to 12-step meetings because I didn't want anyone to see me around here yeah. I drive five towns away. And I, and it worked and I, I didn't drink for three months. I stayed sober and therefore clean yeah. that whole summer until one of my friends said, Hey, maybe you can drink without doing that drug now. And I said, yeah, maybe you're right. I'll try. And sure enough, I drank, didn't want the drug, but my drinking immediately accelerated and Took I was over, yeah. blackout drinker immediately. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you're a very passionate person. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard that before. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, you, you seem, correct me if I'm wrong, you're a very determined person as well. And I think, I think that is obviously a gift, but if, if it's used in the wrong direction, it's almost like, you know, when you do anything, you go all in, is that accurate? It is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and no different with maybe even drinking and partying. It's like, you know, once your mind's on that and you're laser focused on that, that's the direction you're going to go and nothing's going to stop you. Right. I never wanted the party to be over. It, yeah. You know, the sun was coming up and I'm, I'm frustrated because the sun was coming up. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh no. Yeah. 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 So, so how long does this go on before you start going, you know what, something's got to change here. I've got to do something different. Yeah. So that was when I was about 24, 25 and I was married at 27. Um, and I ran the Boston marathon when I was 29 and oh, cool. was able to shut it off. Like, you know, uh -huh. and I drank a few times a week, but always blacked out every time and woke mm -hmm. up with bruises, woke up, didn't know where my purse was just a uh -huh. mess. And, but then mm -hmm. I'd go to work all week and, you know, I um, could shut it off and I trained for the Boston marathon, um, ran that and then got pregnant about a month later and had my first child, Charlie, who is now 11. And I wanted a home birth. I wanted it very natural because, and I feel like part of the reason I wanted a home birth and to have a totally natural birth is because I spent, I knew I had spent so many years and moments totally out of touch and out yeah. of control of my body and in a blackout. And I wanted to be fully present. I was afraid that if the, the doctors in the hospital gave me something that I reacted to, 
I would not be present for the birth of my child, which I know knew that I would always regret. Yeah. Um, so I did home birth and I was, I was a great mom. I am a great mom, but I was a great mom um, yeah. to him. And then two years later, I had my next child, Nikki, and he was a home birth as well. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> both beautiful, safe home births. And nice. when they were about two and four, my drinking started to really escalate again. So mm. it was almost like I was just so, and I'm grateful because I hear stories of women who weren't able to turn it off when they were mm -hmm. pregnant and yeah. you no, know, and I don't judge that at all because I know the disease, but um, I'm really grateful that I was able to be a present and sober mom for those pregnancy years and early years and nursing and everything. Um, but then when it took off again, it, it did. And, you know, I found myself, I was in a marriage that wasn't really working anymore, um, we're divorced now and we still have total respect for each other and love and do great, you know, great job co-parenting, but the marriage wasn't working. And so mm, okay. I found myself coping with alcohol, um, coping with the anxieties and pressures of motherhood with alcohol and all the things. Um, when I was 37, so 2017, my alcohol use just really, you know, what happened is I never drank at home. I always only drank outside the house. Interesting. And and yeah. my, my husband at the time was a police officer. So he worked the four to midnight shift in August of 2017. I started drinking at home and, um, mm, okay. then my drinking just all of a sudden catapulted. It was yeah. like overnight just yeah. took off. And I'm just going to make sure my computer is not going to die here. My, my charger. Right. Um, sorry. No, so, um, <laughs> so my drinking catapulted and I found myself drunk driving quite a bit. Um, and putting right. myself in really dangerous positions quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and I had two young kids at home and it just was really scary and really dangerous. And right. I had, uh, one night when I was drunk driving, I had a bad thing happen. And I get about, I get into that in the book as well. Um, and something really bad happened when I was driving one night and I, Can you hear me now? Wait, I can't. Yeah, I can now. Yeah. Wait. Okay. You're you good. Can. Yep. I can't oh. hear you now. Oh. There we go. There we go. Now it's working. Sorry, Sorry everyone. My no, you're good. My computer no. was going to die. Um, so I woke up the next morning and said, and called my best friend who was in a program of recovery. And I said, I need help. And she said, I know. I know you do. And she was she on my doorstep an hour later. And that was October. Um, I wasn't able to stay sober through the holidays that year. Um, but January 1st, 2018, by the grace of God and the help of others and my willingness to ask for help and do the work is my sobriety date. Um, so I started to, I really, you know, started to surround myself with people who I knew would be supportive of my, you know, new kind of. Yeah requirement. Like I, I couldn't be around alcohol at the beginning and everything. And I just really surrounded myself with people who understood, who supported me. And, um, yeah. Wow. And so you're five years clean and sober. Is that correct? Yes. A little over five years. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. First Thank of all, you. yeah, Thank you. that is amazing. Yeah. And I'm really impressed with you and the way you carry yourself. Like I said, I mean, and the beautiful thing too, about, you know, unfortunately you happen to go through some really difficult things, but then what you're doing now, um, you're the founder of 
a pretty balance, which I want to talk about as well. Yeah. You're like I said, you're you're so passionate about being clean and sober. And if anyone sees looks at your Instagram in five minutes, they're gonna go, man, this woman's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's fun. uh so let's um before we get to your your company and, and what you're what you're doing. You did a post a little, uh, I was not too long ago. It was actually back in December and I was, I really loved it because I even shared it with some of my clients, um, because I thought, man, I I loved what you put down and, and it's, it's, you know, things you can do to stay clean and sober. I don't know if you remember that. And one of them was on there is write a daily gratitude list. And, and I've, you hear this a lot in recovery, how important that is. Mm -hmm. Do you mind just sharing your thoughts about that? And then just, you know, maybe why gratitude has helped you so much through all this. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually was going to bring that up. If you, if you ask me for any advice for your listeners was my, my morning routine, which includes the gratitude list. Yeah. We're going to get to that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But when, at first, when you think about gratitude, um, it's sometimes your first instinct to be grateful for the big things. Like I'm grateful for my house. I'm grateful for my, you know, my car and all this stuff, Mm -hmm. but it's, also very important to be grateful for the small things that are right in front of you that you often overlook. Yeah. So, you know, the health of my children, um, you know, my desk, my office, my cup of coffee, my, my comfortable bed, my warm bed. Um, yeah. you know, and I've learned in recovery that a grateful heart will never drink. Mm. And so to, to maintain that sense of gratitude takes you out of fear. It's impossible to be grateful and afraid at the same time. And I, you know, I, I battle a lot of, or I have battled a lot of feelings of fear and anxiety and worry and stress, but gratitude just melts that away. And, you know, and so one thing to do, my recommendation for people who are trying to stop drinking is just identify things that you're grateful for. Yeah. You know, if you're trying to stay sober one day at a time, at the end of the day, be grateful that you made it through the day. Yeah. Sober. And when I wake up in the morning, I, I do, I drop to my, I throw my pillow on the ground and I drop to my knees and I say a prayer and I, I thank God, um, for my sobriety. And I ask, you know, I ask my higher power who I call God to keep me away from a drug drinker substitute just for one more day, allow me to use my strengths to serve others, allow me to see the truth in situations. That one's huge (laughs) to allow me truth in the situations. And please, make it so others see the truth in the situation. Um, you know, just start my day off just with a positive aura and being yeah. very intentional about, about what, what you, what you want out of the day. Yeah. Beautifully said. Thank you. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned, you know, you saying a prayer and how is, how is your faith in, you know, your, your commitment to serving your higher power, which you call God, which I think is awesome. How has that helped you? If you don't mind sharing that, obviously you were, you were raised Catholic and, and that kind of thing. Talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. When I came into recovery, a higher power was not something unfamiliar to me. It wasn't something scary. It wasn't something like I was Mm -hmm. repelling or didn't feel like I could adopt, but it was something that I was missing. I, I, I didn't, and I was raised Catholic and I never had a really great personal relationship with my higher power, with God and his hand in my life. And Although I don't go to the Catholic church now, I am practicing Christian and I'm right. very, I'm very grounded in my faith. And I've found that the church that I now go to speaks to my heart. And I think that's yeah. really important when you, when you are in any organized, organized religion is that you need something that's going to speak to your heart. And, yeah. you know, Sunday, Sunday mass on Easter, I was crying. And so that's when, you know, you're in the right, in the right place. Yeah. 
Sure. <laughs> you know? yeah, right. But um, and I, I feel like earlier in my recovery, I just wasn't there yet. I wasn't there to allow God in. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, he he's there, but he has to be sought. Um, and you know, it says in the book, faith without works is dead. Yes. And you constantly have to work on your faith. I um I just started my steps this year after five years. And I I've said I'm in a 12-step program and I've, I watched this woman and the way she carried herself and her sobriety and so strong. And I knew she did the steps and I knew she worked with women to help them through the steps, but I was afraid to ask her. I finally asked her, I'm on step four, I'm doing my writing and it's taken me about 10 months and it'll probably take me 10 months more to finish all of them, which is fine. Yeah. But through this, pro- through this process, through this process is where I really have been learning to know God and allow him into my life and allow him to walk with me through things and not show, not approach struggle and obstacles is like me not getting my way. Cause that's right. one of my defects here is if I don't get my way, <laughs> I kind of, you know, I turn into a different person and that's yeah. based pretty much on losing my dad at such a young age. Like I didn't get what I wanted. I didn't have yeah. a dad. you know. So it goes back to that, but you know, I read a book every morning. It's called Jesus Calling mm. and it's just a daily uh, meditation or affirmation thing, but it's based on biblical passages and I just feel like the more, the more I move through those steps, um, the more I'm really, really learning to not, but learning to recognize and believe, believes the word that God truly is with me. And he's even the, even the situation with my brother. And I said, even when he passed away in my tears, I said, God orchestrated this whole thing. I was not angry with God. I understood that there was a reason why David came back into my life at Thanksgiving. There was a reason why we invited him to that table, why he was with us at Christmas, why we had those conversations. And, you know, he passed away in his bed, comfortable, um, knowing he was loved and it could have been different over the years. He, you know, didn't always have a bed and it could have been very different. And God orchestrated that beautiful last moments, months of his life. And it makes me emotional because yeah. I'm able to meet such a devastating time in my life with so much understanding and gratitude and grace, just based on me opening my heart um, to the fact that God actually is there and he does yeah. want the best for us. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Man. That's mm-hmm. very touching, Kat. Um, you mentioned uh, as well, you know, the importance of, and you know, it sounds like you do a morning and a nightly routine that was also <laughs> on your post. Do you mind sharing with our listeners? Cause I think, I think that's very, very important, not just in recovery, just in general, we should all have something we're doing in the morning and maybe typically in the evenings. Do you mind sharing what you do? Yeah. Yeah. So you want me to start with the morning and end with the night? Yeah. Yeah, That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. I wake up, I throw my pillow on the ground. I get on my knees and I Mm -hmm. pray to a higher power. Um, You know, please keep me, I've already said what I do there. Um, You know, I get up, I open my shades. I'm a big believer in that sunlight in the winter months in Boston. I actually sometimes I sometimes put my ring light on right in front of me um, okay. while I do my morning routine because your um, brain needs that bright yeah. light. I watched the Huberman lab and he, and he, yes, <laughs> he said, he's so, awesome. He's awesome. So I put the ring light on me. Um, <laughs> and I, I, it's funny cause I'm in an office and I have sliding doors and my kids know, like in the morning I come in here, I shut the doors, I do my yeah. morning routine and I have my coffee and I do the Jesus calling book and I have a couple yeah. melody beady books that I do. Mm-hmm. And then I read from the big book um, of Alcoholics Anonymous. I read from that. And then I read any other personal development book I have. I have a uh, Gabor Mate. I'm reading right now, the myth of normal. I I, um, I just got it. I just got you? that book. Yeah. And I'm, I, it? 
I, I'm on chapter one. It's awesome so far. Oh, so yeah. good. It's yeah. so good. My friend's listening to the audible, but I'm more like, I need the book in my hand. I'm the same way. I got to see it and I got to hold it. Yep. Um, so, and you know, that book, uh, there, there was another one, um, scattered minds too. His books are older Yeah. and he's just now gaining popularity and I love it. So I, I always have a book that's going to feed my soul and help yeah. me grow. Um, yeah. and then I start my day, you know, I get my kids either breakfast off to school or I jump into work at my desk and at any moment during the day, if I feel like I'm off track, because believe me, I, I can fall off track. Something this morning <laughs> put me off track. Uh, we're on we're on a list for a boat mooring um, where we have a summer place. And for some reason, the, the repayment wasn't paid. So we were booted off the list. So Catherine oh, no. had a little moment this morning. But um, but at any moment during the day, you can restart your day. And sometimes I use these, use these tools. I'll reread what I read um, that day. And it's funny, I just mentioned that thing because this morning, uh -huh. the Melanie Beattie book, uh, that yeah. April 21st, it's the language of letting go. The, um, the topic is waiting, wait, oh, okay. time is not right. So it's all about waiting. And, and it's funny. Cause when I, when I thought about it, I said, I just read about this this morning. Like I just have to wait. It's a waiting yeah. list. I just have to wait longer. That's so, <laughs> so funny. Um, and then at that. night, it's interesting. I was just with friends and they were actually really laughing about my night routine and how long it is. But <laughs> then after, after, after what she said, I feel bad. We were laughing at you. You know, we were kidding. Right. And I said, I don't mind at all. I think it's funny yeah. as well. And she's like, I'm really just jealous. Cause I don't have a night routine at all. I just, yeah. you know, take my socks off and get into bed. <laughs> right. So her nighttime routine, I always make tea. Um, I love the puka tea. It's P-U-K-K-A. I love okay. the the kind it's called relax is my favorite. Um, yeah. so I make tea. I, um, you know, I drink a little bit of calm, which is this magnesium drink that I love. I yeah. turn all the lights down. Um, I get my kids kind of ready to get settled. I do a very long skincare routine. <laughs> That's part of <laughs> what I do with my business is uh, organic, clean skincare and makeup. But my skincare routine is about seven steps, um, at night. Right. And I, I feel like that self-care yeah. and that repetition um, allows mm -hmm. your body to kind of wind down at night. So I um, use a red light at night and red light has been known to help um, stimulate melatonin production, which is a oh. natural hormone that your body, it rises at night so that you get good sleep. And it also helps with inflammation and immunity and cell metabolism and everything. So yeah. I use red light every single night. Um, and I have my, my blue blockers on and I read a little bit, or I might scroll on my phone um, and I'm also very careful about what I'm exposed to on social media, especially yeah. at night, especially at night. I make sure that I'm not just randomly scrolling. Like if I go on social media at nighttime, it's intentional. Yeah. It's because I want to watch something that's going to, you know, feed me and not drain me. Yeah. I love I that. That's really important. Yeah. And I, you know, I get good sleep and I'm grateful for that. It wasn't always like that. When I first started drinking, I think a month after I stopped one week, I got maybe three hours sleep that whole week about three weeks after I stopped drinking and that, and I had a conference from my work and I flew to Florida and went to this business conference and I had three hours of sleep under my belt. Well, a night, like I was sleeping like two or yeah. three hours a night. And, um, I look back at photos and I see this woman who's like 28 days sober and she's beautiful and she's on the dance floor and she's with her friends. And yeah. you, know, you never would know that she's not sleeping. You never would know she's sleeping <laughs> two hours. You never would know yeah. that she's finally stopped drinking three weeks prior. Um, you know, and I just, I don't know where I'm going with that, but, <laughs> but I just, um, just kind of looking back, I guess my point is where I'm at today. And like we said at the beginning, wasn't always like this, right? It wasn't, I, you know, there were many nights that I 
passed out in my bed in a blackout with my makeup yeah. and my clothes and my shoes still like, you know, it's just, yeah. it wasn't always like this. And I'm aware of that every single day. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I have a 20 minute long skincare routine. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I love, again, like we said earlier, you're very passionate about what you do, everything, you know, your routines and everything. And, mm -hmm. and I love that because I think, you know, where you used to be that blackout drunk and you don't mm -hmm. want to be that person anymore. And you're obviously making sure that you're not going down that road ever again. And I, I really do admire you for that. It's, it's really, really fun to watch. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so tell us about your, uh, a pretty balance. Let's let, yeah. what, what's, what's that all about? Tell our listeners what that is. Yeah. So I landed on that. I just always had, have had something to, with balance. I just think it's really interesting. Balance has always intrigued me because I never seemed to be able yeah. to land it. Like I never <laughs> was able to quite yeah. land the balance thing. I'm, always, sure. I'm a creature of extremes. Yeah. Um, kind of the saying that I use uh, with a pretty balance is life isn't always pretty and it's not always balanced, but we can shoot for a pretty balance. So yeah. pretty balance is really just that aura of like, just doing the best you can, trying to keep all the pieces moving, doing yeah. nothing to extremes, just kind of being aware of all the pieces and trying to kind of recalibrate as necessary. And with that, um, I think I'm kind of evolving into more of a holistic sobriety approach where I've already mentioned my clean skincare and makeup. Yes. I am a huge advocate of clean living. You know, I home birth. I had already shared that. Yeah. And um, I really believe in the body's innate ability to heal itself. And I'm doing a lot of healing work right now myself. I actually just started EMDR trauma release therapy. Yeah. Um, yep. Yep. And I think, um, you know, I, I firmly believe in the fact that what we put on our bodies, in our bodies and around our bodies really impacts our um, emotions or really impacts yeah. our well-being and our just sense of groundedness. So I do more holistic sobriety on my feed. Like you have already said, I'm pretty, I don't know, snarky, sometimes sassy, funny, <laughs> all the things yeah. you never know what you're going to get with my feed, but, um, yeah, yeah I, I love it. And I also, I, I also love, you know, what I love about it is you never know who's watching Yeah. and it's, uh, every now and then I'll, and I love messages when they come in and I, I check them all and I reply to all of them. I have a VA, yeah. but she doesn't touch my messages. I don't want her to, cause I want to be there. I want to be For connected sure. with people. Yeah. Um, and I so oftentimes I get messages and they're just, they, they're so grounding, you know, and one I got recently was a husband of somebody who was struggling with drinking and he watched, he loved to watch my feed because it allowed him to better understand his wife's yeah. um, battles and, and what yeah. she deals with and develop, develop more compassion for her. And so I guess the purpose of my feed is really to just impact and inspire people to have a better understanding of the disease and the recovery piece, yeah. just yeah. to eliminate all the stigma and the judging sure. You know what? Yeah. When I got sober, I was, I remember I was on my floor in my house. Again, my kids were little and I was searching online for stories. I was looking on YouTube. I was typing in sobriety yeah. story. I was searching for what we have now on Instagram. Like the message is so loud. It wasn't like this five years ago. Yeah. And I believe that the more people that hears this message, the more people will be able to kind of, um, evaluate their own relationship with alcohol. And I always say, you don't have to identify as an alcoholic to want to stop drinking. You just have to want to stop drinking. And a lot of people have trouble admitting they're powerless over alcohol. That feels like you're defeated, you're weak. And so I suggest that people, instead of admitting that you're powerless, explore the possibility that maybe you can surrender to the fact that you can't just have one drink. 
like just understand the truth about yourself and just surrender that. Um, yeah. And that's yeah. sometimes the first step. So anyway, sure. in a nutshell, that's kind of my feed. I just, it's all about yeah. you know, recovery and all that. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. You know, if, you know, you're writing this book, you said it's going to come out in uh, 2024. Mm -hmm. Is this kind of like your whole life story? Is that what we can expect that's going to be in this book? Is it just kind of like a, you know, a whole biography of your life? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of stories in the book, um, but with mm -hmm. stories, there's going to be a lesson to every chapter. So every chapter is going to have a new theme. Um, the reader is going to go through um, an emotional journey with me and what my um, personal story is. Okay. And then uh, there'll be a lesson in every chapter to help help you kind of navigate your own feelings. And maybe you can relate to my identify to my story um, and then provide hope. And again, just inspiring people to choose sober living um, as, yeah. as an option, you know, and I, I struggle, I've struggled with what to put in the book, like how honest should I be? I know my kids are going to read it someday, you know, um, but at the yeah. end of the day, I've decided that, you know, I, I believe truth is power and, you know, and I, my past is my best asset and I don't hide behind it. Um, so there'll be a lot of unexpected truth in the book, yeah. but I'm going to be yeah. proud of it. And I know it's going to sure. help a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure it will. I'm telling yeah. you, I, I'm excited that you're doing that. And what a way to leave a legacy too. You know, I think that's wonderful. Um, if Kat, if there's someone who's listening to your voice right now, this very moment, you've already shared some pretty powerful things, but the, the and this person's struggling, they're in a dark place. They don't know what to do. And they're just, they feel hopeless. What would you tell that person right now? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> to that person, I mean, asking for help is the first step and just surrounding yourself with people who are mm -hmm. going to elevate you. Um, mm -hmm. But understand that if you are making the right choices and doing the right thing and trying to move in the direction of recovery um, and healing, it's important to know that growth is a very gradual process. Yeah. And um, <laughs> although it takes a long time for you to grow and heal, you recognize growth in an instant. Yeah. Um, so growth is measured uh, by how you react to situations. So it's measured from the inside, not the outside stuff. Like I'm not talking about the house and the car and the job in the bank account. That's different type of growth. I'm talking growth sure. in your journey, in your yeah. emotional well-being, in your health, in your mental health. That's all measured within how you react to situations. And when you find yourself reacting to situations differently than you would have three weeks ago, three months ago, yeah. three years ago, that's growth. And so I suggest you just look for the little signs of growth in your life. And this could be small things like driving in your car and someone cuts you off and you're just like, oh, they cut me off instead of maybe three months ago, you flipped out. Um, and I, yeah. I do believe that once you put the substances down and you have support, yeah. you grow, you grow and you heal. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think it's dangerous to put the substances down and try to do it alone. I think it's really dangerous to do it dry, to be dry. And I know there's a lot of like dry January, you know, sober October, all the things. And although I love the attention it brings to sobriety, yeah. it scares me because it scares me because people, and I know me, if I put the substance down, it's, if that's your only coping, it's a dangerous place to be. So mm -hmm. if you're trying to do it alone, um, yeah. just get a cohort of people around you that really care about you and love you. And also remember that growth 
is measured within you. Nobody else can measure your growth for you. That's an inside job. And I, you know, I um, got sick, I guess now it's a year and a half ago, I was really sick. And about three months later, I lost my hair. I lost 80% of my hair wow. last year. Really? <laughs> yeah. These are extensions right now. I'm oh. very open about it on social media too, because yeah. of my journey, but I, you know, 80% of my hair was gone. And for all of last year, I've been trying to grow back holistically and everything. Yeah. And uh, a few weeks ago, my son, Nikki, was using my fiance's um, little shavers, the razor, <laughs> and he came yeah. really close to my head. And Kurt said, to put that down, you're going to cut her hair. And I, I looked and and I kind of just like shrugged it off. And then I, uh, I think I was brushing my teeth and I looked down and there was a giant chunk of hair on my sink he had literally cut a huge piece of my hair up oh, and I no. looked, yeah and I pulled and it was my natural hair and and mm. he said mom was that your extension because my kids know because my yeah, hair fell. right yeah and um and I said no honey it was my real hair and he's and he looked mortified and I said it's okay and I truly felt it was okay there was no part of me that had that yeah. gasping anxiety that I would have had last year and and that in an instant, I knew that I had grown out from under the darkness of like losing my hair and the anxiety over that. And um, wow. so anyway, no, nobody else can yeah. say that you've grown. It's it's an inside job. Beautifully said, man. That was some powerful words there. And and again, the power of connection is real. You know, um, I you know we're never more fully alive than when we're connected. And so. I love those words to the, the to that specific person who's struggling is surround yourself, call someone, reach mm -hmm. out. There's people there that are going to help you. And, you know, if someone wants to reach out to you, um, Kat, and they want to follow you on social media, they want to get in line for your book. They want to, you know, when your podcast goes live, they're ready to go for that too. And all mm -hmm. these great things you're doing, how could they do that? What's the best way for them to do it? Yeah. So they can follow me on social media on a pretty balance on Instagram, or there's a link in my bio for all of my other um, groups. I also, my coaching community is she blooms. We haven't talked about that much, but um, it's actually PPS. She blooms as if at the end of like a long love note. PPS. Oh yeah. Okay. Like, don't forget, like, oh, yeah. don't forget. She's going to bloom type thing. Okay. Um, and PPS stands for something, which I'm going to share down the road. I'm holding okay. that in my back pocket. But okay. uh, so, it's PPS, so it's She Blooms on Facebook. It's a free coaching community that I work specifically with women who are on a healing journey that also um, run a business online and want to brand themselves so that they attract the right client, the right business partner to them. And I love the work that I do there. And I'm launching a branding course um, in, a, in a couple of months there. So you can hop in my free coaching community on Facebook. It's She Blooms. And nice. I'm Catherine Jarrett on Facebook. Or like we've said, you can follow me here on a pr Pretty Balance on Instagram. Dang, man. You're doing a lot of yeah. amazing things. How does that feel? Like, I mean, where you used to be waking up blackout drunk, you know, you don't, you're hungover. And here you are. You've got all these things. You're 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 shit. You're you're sending light out into the world. How does that feel? It feels great. And tomorrow, actually, I'm going to have 18 women at my house. I'm hosting a women's retreat, a healing yoga retreat. I'm having nice. a yoga um, master come here. I call her a master, and she's we're doing trauma release yoga in my house. And nice. as I'm preparing for it, I feel I feel really humbled and grateful that I'm able to provide this for other people and other women. And I feel all along the road, like, as I've already shared, I went to school for healthcare, helping yeah, people. Yeah. It's kind of just within me. Um, and I think a lot of people in recovery, when we get better, 
and I'll use my Boston accent. When we get <laughs> when we get better, we want to help other people get. We want to help really. other people get better too. <laughs> I love it. I love that accent too. By the way, I think it sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Beautifully said. Well, uh, Kat, I, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with me today and sharing uh, your story with us and, and and all the good things you're doing and also getting vulnerable and sharing about your brother, David, uh, yeah. that my heart goes out to you and your entire family. And uh, thank you. I hope you know that, I, I you know, even though I'm on the other side of the country, I really do support everything you're doing. I've been following you ever since we met, you know, thank back, you. what was that, a year ago, something yeah. like that. <laughs> And I'm really just really impressed with all the good things you're doing. And I invite my listeners to follow you. Um, I'll put all the links in the show notes so they'll be able to go right to you. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't wait to get this out to half a million people. And hopefully we keep growing from there too. And and we can help support each other in being clean and sober and living a, a faith, a, a fruitful, excuse me, a fruitful life that's making a difference in other people's lives. Yeah. And my podcast hopefully will be launched in a couple months as well. That'll be the Pretty Balance podcast. I'm the excited. Pretty Balance, sorry, the Pretty Balance project. Yeah. Project. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's going to be great. And please let me know when that goes live so I can follow that. And I'm I, well, I'm excited for that. But uh, thank you so much. It's it's a mm -hmm. pleasure to know you. And thank um, you. If, if there's anything I can do you for you in the future as well, I would love to help out any way that I can, any project you need. If you need to raise money for something, you just let me know. I'd be happy to help any way that I can. Thank you. And I want to take a minute to thank you again for inviting me on the show. And sure. thank you for what you do. I scrolled your feed not too long ago, and it's just amazing. You amplify, amplifying this message is so valuable. There's so many people that need to hear it. So yeah. thank you so much for the work that you do. And I know you're too humble to even <laughs> hear this right now, but really, and you know, and, and the reason why it took us so long to connect is because you help a lot of people locally. Yeah. And, yeah. and I know one, one time it was a family needed you. And yep. I, you know, I got that message. It was like an hour before we're supposed to do this. And yeah. I prayed, you know, I prayed for you and I understood that oh, you, thanks. you know, your mission is really big and strong. So thank you for doing this. No, that means a lot, yeah. man. I, thanks for softening my heart there. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, so, you know, there you go, listeners. I told you that you were in for a treat today. <laughs> Catherine Jarrett, please reach out to her. Like I said, she's she answers all of uh, her messages from everyone. And I, I was fortunate enough she answered my message way back then. And, <laughs> and that's why we're talking today. So yeah. please reach out to her. And again, Catherine, all the best to all the good things you're doing. And, uh, you know, Godspeed for everything you do. Thank you so much. All right. Okay. There you go, folks. Thanks again. Thanks for joining me. Love you guys.